hello lovely people how is everybody doing what's going on i hope everything is fine welcome to another chapter of this and that where we talk about everything and anything welcome to the month of march also we pray holds great things for us all throughout this month dr darius daniels will be teaching on love laws yes dr darius daniels is a preacher and you heard it right he is teaching on love laws and as a result of that we'll be having it on our podcast also so beginning with the first episode titled this is not love we hope you enjoy it Well, what's up, family? Dr. Darius Daniels here, and I want to welcome you to Thrive. (laughs) Thriving, where we give you lessons that help you get to level three living. Darius, what do you mean when you say level three living? I believe there are three ways you can live your life. Sinking, surviving, thriving. Culture's way, church's way, or king's way. Survive, sinking, level one. Surviving, level two. Thriving, level three. And if you're ready for, if you refuse to settle for less than level three in your life, put in the chat right now, it's level three for me. (laughs) It's level three for me. Listen, I'm excited about today's lesson. Um, And today I want to start a new series called Love Laws. Love has laws. And when you violate the laws, you abuse the love. Is this helping somebody already? If, if it is, somebody just say already, already. Yep. Love has laws. And when you violate the laws, you abuse the love. Okay. So I'm excited because what I want to do is I want to spend the next few weeks talking to you about this, guys. I want to talk about love laws for regular relationships. We're talking about those tonight. And then I'm going to talk about love laws for romantic relationships. That's next week. And then the following week, I'm going to talk about love laws for religious relationships. (laughs) And we're going to deal with some exploitation, some abuse, all of those kinds of things. So hopefully it's going to be incredibly helpful. I'm excited about it. And tonight I want to teach from this topic. This is for my note takers. This is not love. This is not love. Listen to me, family. During my time in 10 years seminary, I became acquainted with a phrase that I think is important. It bears repeating. I want to share it with you today. Um, Here it is. The phrase is this. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxis. Somebody like what? What is that? What? (laughs) What are you speaking English? Here it is. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxis. Dr. Darius, what do you mean by that? Well, here it is. Here's here's the here's the translation of the phrase. Right doctrine leads to right practice. Got me? In other words, you can't execute it right if you understand it wrong. I'm going to say that one more time. You can't execute it right if you understand it wrong. Now, I'm not going to deal with this until next week, but can I just throw something out about romantic relationships? I'm not talking about it until next week, but if it's okay for me to just throw out a little, just a little gem that just hit my heart, if that's okay, just put, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. See, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, watch this, dwell in the context of relationships, but speaking specifically, not exclusively, but specifically to the husband, dwell with the wife, to the man. 
Dwell with the wife, dwell with the woman according to knowledge. Ooh. So watch this. It said, watch this, that love should lead you to do some observation and some investigation so that you can get some understanding. And when you get understanding, you dwell with this with this woman. You dwell and go both ways. Right. The, the, the wife with the husband, the husband with the with the uh, with the wife. You dwell according to knowledge, not assumption, because love observes. And love investigates. Come on here. Love pays attention, right? Observes and love investigates. It's inquisitive. Love becomes curious about likes and dislikes and needs and standards and preferences and, and shifts in attitudinal dispositions. And are you hearing what I'm saying? If I'm making sense, put yes, 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 yes. Right. So you can't even love somebody right if you're understanding them wrong. Watch this. I don't know why. Why, why am I already in? But I think it applies in any relationship. But it seems like I'm just all in romantic relationships already. But here it is. The, I think it applies to regular relationships, too. Right. They can't love you right if they understand you wrong. Hmm. Because it's hard to feel loved if you're constantly feeling misunderstood. Is this helpful? So here's my point. Right doctrine leads to right practice. I cannot execute it right if I'm understanding it wrong. And when I, I think there is an area that is regularly and repeatedly consistently and chronically misunderstood. And that is this word, this concept of love. Now, love is actually central to thriving. So if, if I want to live a level three life, it means that I, I, I must have a degree of mastery surrounding this concept of love. Why, Darius? Because because when it comes to thriving, ladies and gentlemen, you under, this is what you understand, that thriving isn't just based on who you are or what you have or what you can do. Thriving is equally impacted by who you are with. Did you hear what I just said? I can't have good life, a good life if I'm surrounded by bad people. So thriving, ladies and gentlemen, is not just about what role I play in the marketplace or in ministry. Thriving isn't just about res having resources. So, yes, do I need to be clear on my role? Yes. Do I need to have resources? Yes. But cl being clear on my role and having resources alone will not lead to a life of thriving. If I'm going to thrive, if you're going to thrive, if we're going to thrive, you know, what we also need relationships. Even God, no matter where you land theologically, right, no matter where you land theologically regarding this concept of the Trinity, which I believe is uh, um, which 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 is a theological concept I believe in. But the point that I'm making is even in the creation narrative, God said, let us make man in our image. God said, let us let us. Right. Even Jesus before he began. So even if you're if you're not as familiar with that, but. When you look at Jesus before he began his public ministry, the first thing he did before he started teaching is he assembled a team. It is the first thing he did, guys, because God needed an us. So for him to create the world, 
he intended to create, he needed in us. In order for Jesus to accomplish the mission he was crafted, that, that he was called and commissioned to create, I mean, to, to accomplish, he needed in us. And so for us to create the world, we, we want to create. For, for us to accomplish the mission we've been called, we need in us. I hope I'm making sense, guys. This is what the book says. No matter what songs say, no matter what culture says, watch this. No matter what ideology your injuries have caused you to adopt. What is that, Darius? See, see, there are some life philosophies that we have that really aren't based on principle. Some philosophies we have are based on pain. We went through pain and when we developed a philosophy. So a string of bad relationships can cause you to develop a philosophy about relationships and say marriage isn't good or dating isn't good or men isn't good or women aren't good. And you feel that it's, it's, it's real to you, but that doesn't mean it's right because it's anecdotal. It's based on pain and it's not based on principle. And sometimes people form ideologies based on their injury. They, they've been injured and so they form these these ideologies and these 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 life philosophies but it, but it's not accurate it is dangerous to form a lifetime philosophy based on a season of pain Ooh, did you hear what i just said if you want me to say it again say run it back <laughs> it, it is dangerous are y'all here to form a lifetime philosophy based on a on a season of pain. And I think we've all in one way or another struggled with that, been tempted with that. But we got to take our philosophies, right? Our ideologies, our concepts, and we got to put them through the filter of scripture. Why? Because we know scripture is truth. It's a rock. It's steady. It's stable. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. The person that's building their life on build on biblical principles is building their life on principles they can trust. That's building on a rock. In Matthew 7, he talks about building on a rock, building your life house on a rock or building your life house on sand. And sand is culture's way. It's shifting. It's changing. It's unreliable. They're saying one thing about relationships this year. Then they're saying another thing about relationships three years from now. Are y'all here? They're telling you one way to get peace. Uh, in one season, then they're telling you another way to get peace in another. In one season, you need rocks and crystals. In another season, you need incense. It's just changing. It's shifting. So key to thriving, a key to thriving is not just having roles right, resources right, and relationships right, uh, uh, resources right, but also having relationships right. And to get the relationships right, you got to get the love thing right. I hope I'm making sense here. You can't even live level three without mastering love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. And this is why I wanted to spend a few weeks talking around this concept of love laws. Why, guys? Why? why? Because when you do not understand the laws of love, you become an accessory for the crime to the crime of your own self-destruction. Did you hear what I just said? When we do not accurately 
understand love laws, then what happens is uh, uh, <laughs> we end up becoming an accessory to the crime of our own destruction. We participate in our own self-destruction. We create climates where we are abused and overlooked and overwhelmed in the name of love. So we can't we can't execute it right if we're understanding it wrong. I hope I'm making sense. And so when something like this is so central to thriving and central to our faith, we cannot be elementary in our understanding of it. And so this means if orthodoxy leads to orthopraxis, then one of the first things that we got to do is we got to make sure that we're not just clear on what love is. We need to start with what love is not. And this is why I'm starting with what love is not. And for anybody that's in any, if you are teaching in any form, right? If you're teaching in, if, if you're teaching in any form, if you're coaching in any form, if you're consulting in any form, if you're mentoring in any form, I want you to listen to me. I, I, want, you, I want you to catch Whenever you're teaching a concept, never make the assumption that people already don't have ideas and convictions around that concept. I'm going to say that again. Before you teach a concept, don't make the assumption that people don't already have some ideas about that concept. Very rarely are you dealing with a blank slate. People already have ideas written on the canvas of their mind about anything that you're going to teach them about. This is why deconstructing some of the things that are already there is going to be imperative and tantamount and paramount to reconstructing a new concept that they can actually build their life on. So if you're talking to somebody about money, you need to know there's some deconstruction you got to do before you can do some construction. If you're talking to people about relationships, you got to do some deconstruction. If you're talking to people about work, you got to do some deconstruction because people always already have ideas and opinions about something. So this is why we need to start with what love is not, because the Bible says the, the most profitable tool for deconstruction is the Bible. <laughs> for the word of God it is profitable, Paul says, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I hope I'm making sense. It's the wrecking ball that can be used to tear down inferior ideologies. And it's the hammer that can be used to rebuild them. So today. I want to pause for the cause and I want to talk about what love is not. And I want to use a powerful parable found in Luke chapter 10 to unpack this concept. If you're ready, say ready. Okay, watch this, guys. In Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 26, this is what the Bible says. It says an expert in the law. So when it says an expert in the law, the law here is not like um, civil law. It's religious law here. Okay, talking about the law of God. And so there, there is an expert in the law who approaches Jesus. It's not a real question. It's a trick question. And he says, teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, knowing that this guy is an expert in the law, Jesus says, what's written in the law? 
And then he says this, this is, this is a whole, I'm going to use a word here, whole nother lesson. <laughs> this is a whole nother lesson. Jesus says, what's written in the law? And then he asks this, how do you read it? See, that's a problem right here. This is, this is how people have used the Bible to bash people because they ask the first question, but not the second question. The first question is, what's written in the law? The second question is, though, how do you read it? Because just because you're reading it doesn't mean you're reading it right. And some people end up doing wrong in the name of the Bible. They end up doing wrong in the name of God. Not because they aren't. Watch this. <laughs> not because they don't know what's written in the law. They just hadn't learned how to read it. People have used the Bible to endorse and affirm slavery. Use the Bible to endorse and affirm patriarchy. Use the Bible to endorse and affirm spiritual abuse and spiritual er exploitation. Because it's not just what's written, it's how do you read it? What glasses are you using to interpret the scriptures? Is your hermeneutic a pure hermeneutic? Come on here. Has your hermeneutic been formed in the context of community meaning are there other people besides you that's checking you on how you're actually reading the scriptures anyway that that's a whole nother one somebody just put in the chat another one <laughs> pd you need to do something on that one another one so he says what's written in the law and how do you read it so, so the expert answer, he said this, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, cool, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. He says, you keep wanting, you, you keep wanting to consume information because you're trying to avoid execution. Just do that. <laughs> he says, you overcomplicating this. Just, just, just do that. And I want to tell you when it comes spiritually, uh, relationally, emotionally, uh, vocationally, financially, success is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Cultivating intimacy and relationships is not easy, but it's simple. It's simple, fam. Healing wounds in my soul, not easy, but it's simple. Jesus said, just do this. But verse 29 says, but the teacher of the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, hey, but who's my neighbor? It's like, OK, now you want to be now you want to be petty. Like, have you ever engaged in conversation with people uh, about a spiritual matter or a biblical matter? And you see them resorting to this kind of pettiness and detail. Jesus is not engaging this man for the purpose of engaging this man. The Bible says the servant of God must not strive. So you got to know what conversations are actually conversations gonna, that are going to be fruitful and productive or what conversations are intended by the enemy uh, to be used as bait to get you to get into offense. Because some people don't want to be they don't want a discussion. They want to argue. You want to argue. I'm not going to argue with you. He wanted to justify himself. So what Jesus did is he uses this opportunity to teach others. So he tells his story. He says there was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. 
he watch this now. This is scary. He say a priest who happened to be going down the same road. Somebody put in the chat a priest, a priest, a priest who happened to be going down the same road. He saw the man and passed by on the other side. Y'all, y'all missed that. It's a priest, a spiritual leader. He sees this man. He passes by on the other side. So watch this. Text says also, so too a Levite came. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Another spiritual leader. But verse 33 says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on them. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. So Jesus told this story and then he asked the guy, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, well, go and do likewise. I want I want you to, there's so much we could unpack here. There's so much we can unpack here. But what I want us to see here is that Jesus uses the activity of this Samaritan man who, who historically Samaritans and, and Jews here, they had a relationship of hostility. They, they just, they didn't, engage and fraternize at time. you know relationship was borderline antagonistic with each other so you've got people who are people of faith a priest and a levite people who are this man's own ethnicity who walk past him then you have a person i'm not even going to bother this because i don't know if we're ready for this discussion you have a person a samaritan whose doctrine wasn't quite right but he practiced love in a way that was more consistent with the ways of God than the people that had the doctrine right. Oh my, oh my, oh my. See, that's why I say orthodoxy leads to orthopraxis because orthodoxy, watch this, orthodoxy leads to orthopraxis. Orthodoxy doesn't automatically mean right practice because there are people that can say the right things, but they don't know how to implement the right things. So catch this now. People... You got a Samaritan whose doctrine wasn't quite right. <laughs> and this is why I argue that believers should never be elitist. That followers of Jesus should never feel like we're better than. Because there are some things we can learn from everybody. Okay, I'm, 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 let me leave that alone. Here's the point, guys. This story is a powerful picture, that Je a powerful parable that Jesus used to portray to you and me, guys. Listen to me. A powerful picture to portray to you and me what love looks like in action. But this, this text does not just show us what love is. This text also shows us what love isn't. So we can look at all of the things that the man did do. Right. So so I want you to catch this. 
for Jesus, love is not a feeling. It's an action. So here it is, guys. There are several words uh, in, in the Greek New Testament and also in the Greek language in general that are often used to describe love. OK. And each word connotes a different meaning. So for those of us who speak English, it's a bit different because we only have one word for love. And that one word is used in every context. Right. So it's like I love my phone. And then it's like, I love my wife. So it's the same word, but you don't mean it the same way, right? It's like, uh, I don't love my phone the way I love my wife, right? So, but in, in the Greek language, in the Greek New Testament, that's not necessarily the case. The word they would use for love for phone or friend is different than the word they would use for love for wife. So there are several of them, but, but here are three I want to I throw out because I want to make sure uh, well, four really here four I want to throw out because I want to make sure you're understanding when Jesus is telling us to love what he means here. So that way we'll understand what love is not. So one word is philea, right? You've heard of that. Philadelphia. So it means authentic friendship or brotherly love. So so this is the kind of love that one has for a friend. Right. It's phileo. Philea. All right. Then you've got one called storge which is family love. This is the love you have for a parent, the love you have for a sibling. If I'm making sense, put yes in the chat. Okay, I hope this is not too much information tonight. Then, then another word for love is eros, erotic, right? And so this, this is a romantic type love. It is the love that a, a husband has for a wife and a wife has for a husband or uh, couples have when they're dating. It, it's it's got me. OK. Then there is a word for love that's used here in Luke 10, and it is regularly used to describe God's love for us. And that's a word agape. OK. And agape is an unconquerable benevolence. It means I have a commitment to seek the highest good for others, regardless of what they do to me. So. Let's try to make some of this make sense. The Bible says, love your enemies. So when it says love your enemies, it's not saying phileo your enemy. It's not saying feel for your enemy what you feel for a friend. Come on. It's not saying storge your enemy. It's not saying feel for an enemy what you feel for your parents. It's not saying eros your enemy. <laughs> It's not saying feel for your 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 enemy, what you feel for your spouse It's saying agape them. It means make a commitment to seek the highest good for them, no matter what they do to you. And so when people are you understand what I'm saying? So there are some people, oh, my, who misunderstand this. And then they look at these scriptural passages and avoid them. They sometimes use them to delegitimize all the scripture because they're feeling like, ah, uh, you know, I can't do that. And Jesus is like, I'm not saying feel for them what you feel for your wife. I'm saying make a commitment to to do for them what I did for you. That while you are yet sinners, while you are at your worst, while you are enemies with God, while your activity insulted God, put you in hostility with God. It did not prevent God from engaging in the activity that was in your best interest. And he's saying, do that for your enemies. 
Bless them that curse you. I'm sorry. I, 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 I felt that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope you follow me here. So what we see here is agape in action. So when it comes to our, our, our regular relationships, guys, relationships all across the board, like it, it's, it's got to be agape. Now, I'm going to deal with this because for the believer, Agape should accompany whatever level of love you're operating with. So, did you hear what I just said? So a non-believer can have a philea, philea, but it takes a believer to have agape because that's the love of God. Well, that's the word that's used to describe the love of God. It's not a word that's used exclusively religiously, but it, it was a word that was used to depict and describe the love of God. So even when your friendships, when you're a level three friend, you have agape in your friendships. And so watch, Lord, why am I getting getting this? But but eros alone is not enough to hold a marriage. Somebody put teach in the chat. You, yeah, that, that that's an inferior kind of love. That is elusive and unpredictable and seasonal and sometimes predicated on certain things like looks and weight and, and age. And on top of that, Eros, and I'm not saying it's not important, but on top of that, you got to put some agape. You need somebody that's going to agape you. And so this is what Jesus is saying here. He's 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 painting a picture through this parable of agape in action. Let's wrap this up, guys. But in him painting this picture of what love is, he also reveals to us what love isn't. And some of us have been engaging in self-destructive behavior and you've been calling it love. And God wants to use, I believe, this message tonight. To say to you, that's not love. I'm going to say that one more time. That some of us have been engaging in self-destructive behavior. We've been calling it love because we think it's love. And I believe God wants to use this parable tonight or whenever you're watching this. To say to you, that's not love. You're violating love laws. So, so let's not just look at what the man did in the parable. Let's look at what he didn't do. Because I think that's important. What he didn't do shows us what love is not. So here it is. Can I share with you three things the text reveals to us that love is not? Come on. Can I? Okay. Here it is. Number one, love is not abandonment now now watch this I don't want you to assume what I mean when I say abandonment text says the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho he was attacked by robbers got me but it says a Samaritan who was traveling came where the man was saw him took pity on him now but watch what the man did the man didn't cancel his trip he didn't abandon his assignment See this right here. This right here. See, did you hear what I'm saying? The man, the Samaritan helped the man that had fallen among thieves. 
but took him to the bandaged his wounds, right? Pour oil on him, took him to a hotel, then got up the next day and said, now I still have to go where I got to go. So I'm going to pay for this man to stay. The man, the man still didn't abandon his assignment. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying here? So if God's, <laughs> if God's giving you an assignment, abandoning that assignment is not love. You can love without abandoning the assignment. So here it is. This is what, what could have happened. Sometimes people engage in manipulation. And they try to use their own circumstance and situation as leverage to lock you into behavior that's inconsistent with what God is calling and telling you to do. In other words, some people will want you to help them their way. Helping you is love. But but love does not mean I always have to help you your way. Somebody put some fire in this chat if we're teaching the book tonight. Because the man that was hurt could have said, I need you to stay here with me. How, how are you going to bring me to this hotel and leave me here? What's going to happen to me? Who's going to take care of me? See, some people... Some people only want help their way. And if you mm, and love meets people's needs, but love cannot always accommodate people's preferences. And when you spend your life accommodating people's preferences, that's not love. You know what the Bible calls that? People pleasing. I'm sorry. That was like, what was that? But I felt the I felt the quickening What the witness of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> The apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians, if I please people, I be not the servant of God. He says, I can't, I can't be obsessed with pleasing God and pleasing people. So love is not abandonment of my assignment. I left Mississippi and went to New Jersey because God called me to do that. I'm sure my parents did not want me to go 1,700 miles away. But they didn't say, if you love me, you would abandon your assignment. Okay, let me, let me. So love is not abandonment. Somebody just put woo in the chat. <laughs> it's hot in here. Love is not abandonment. Number two, love is not enablement. He's not enablement. Like the Samaritan assisted this man, but he didn't enable this man. He he was he was willing to take care of this man. Right. But he didn't take responsibility for something he's not responsible for. Did you hear what I just said? When we become responsible for someone else's irresponsibility, that's not love. That's enablement. And there are people that will chronically and consistently and irregular and regularly get engage in irresponsible activity because they know they have you as their lifesaver and their lifeguard that is always going to come to their rescue. And when we're rescuing them in our mind, we're expressing love and assisting them. But in actuality, in some cases, we're actually enabling them. 
Now, please don't read what I'm not writing. I, I believe uh, uh, with Thrive, I'm speaking to thinkers who actually understand nuance. And when I make certain statements like that, I'm never in under any under well, rarely making any blanket statements that occur in every that apply to every circumstance. Of course, there are times we're going to help people. Of course, there are times where we may have to help people repeatedly. But that is a difference. There's a difference between assistance and enablement. And when we are being responsible for somebody else's irresponsibility, that is not love. That is enablement. That's a love law. Somebody put facts in that chat. Okay, here number here's number three. Number three is this. Love is not exploitation. Watch what watch what the Samaritan did. He told the innkeeper, he said, listen, I'm getting ready to leave. Here's two denarii. Look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, what could the Samaritan have done? The Samaritan could have gave him six denarii instead of two denarii. He could have gave him 10 denarii instead of two denarii. He said, no, but I'm going to give you two. And if it's more, I'll give I'll, I'll let me invest a little now. Let me observe the circumstance. And then after my observation, I'll make a determination if I want to do something additionally. And sometimes in the name of love, we get exploited. Oh, my gosh. And that is not love. Without, see, see, just because there's the presence of love doesn't mean there isn't the need for investigation. Even with my own kids, if they ask me for money, I want to know for what. Come on, talk to me. If you get allowance, why do you need it? What have you done with yours? And there are many people you're being exploited. Oh, why, why am I speaking? This is so frank. I believe this is prophetic. Like there are many people being an exploitation is not love. Love. See, here's the thing, guys. I want you to be able to recognize this in you so that you can see it in others. Also, I want you to be able to see whether or not you're operating with agape, but you also need to be able to discern whether or not somebody is expressing and displaying agape towards you. Because if you love me with agape, you won't exploit me because agape makes you serve. Agape means you're actually seeking what's best for me. Hey, uh, y'all. Oh, my. Not seeking what's best for you at my expense. And you can be exploited for your money. You can be exploited for your body. You can be exploited for your skill. You can be exploited for sex. You can you can be <laughs> you can be exploited for opportunity, family. That's not love. And one of the reasons I'm done. One of the reasons I believe God wants us to get this revelation is simply because family, when we do not practice love laws, we ultimately and inevitably end up experiencing abuse. And abuse always leads to bitterness. And the Bible says, see that no bitter root defiles you. Bitterness always leads to defilement. 
Our bitterness drives us to behaviors that defile. Hey, glory. I know this is a Wednesday night, but I feel a little churchy. Somebody just put glory in the chat. Glory. Glory. And the day I want to pray right now as we wrap up, I'm stopping right here. This is all God needs to say. I believe all God wants to say tonight. And I want to pray right now that those who have bitter roots or those who might be on the verge of moving in that direction because you've abandoned your assignment, you've enabled the irresponsible or you have allowed yourself to be exploited. I want you to know right now that that God didn't want that bitter root to take hold of you from the past, but he wants to free you so you can step into your future. Family, there is nothing wrong with setting a standard that says I will be loved right and I will be loved well. God has shown me what real love is. And that's the kind of love I'm going to give to others. And that's the love I expect others to give to me. Guys, this is this is right now. I'm telling you right now. So let me pray. I feel this. Glory. Father, I pray for every person right now under the sound of my voice. Whenever they are watching this, that's dealing with any bitter root of any kind. I pray for those that who've had good intentions, but they've abandoned their assignment. God, I know I, I, I know they're watching. Father, I, I pray for those uh, like myself who had good intentions, but engaged in enabling activity. In the name of love. Became responsible for someone's irresponsibility and it's led to disappointment and borderline bitterness. I pray that you can do what I can't, that you would pull that bitter root up. In the name of Jesus, and I pray for those that have even been exploited. For their opportunities, for their income, for their access, for exploited for intimacy. Glory to God, I pray. That the God who heals and mends broken hearts will put the broken pieces of their heart back together again. Pull up that bitter root, replace it with the joy of the Lord, which will be their strength. I thank you that as a result of this series, we will love well and be loved well in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. We really hope it's added value to you. Please do subscribe and leave a rating. Christ will be a very great idea, you know. Finally, kindly follow us on Instagram at underscore this and that podcast. Thank you.